Amen. Let's praise God for his grace. Let's clap to him today. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We're so glad you are here today. I love singing that song with you. That is a powerful, life-changing song. Amen. How many of you, how many of you, your chains are really gone? They're gone. Would you raise your hands up? Raise them up high. Your chains have been gone because of what Jesus, your chains are gone. How does that make you feel knowing that? That your chains are gone. That you've actually been set free. Set free from what? Set free from sin that has, has been in our lives, set free for some. For, for some of you, it's been addictions. For some, it's been depression. For some of you, it's, it's, it's been uh, you know, other kinds of things that you would say. Now, let me ask you another question because that's pretty awesome to think about the fact that, that when I sing that song, I'm really saying my chains have truly been gone because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, here's another question for you. How many of you, you know someone who is still in those chains. Would you raise your hands up, raise them up high? Raise them up high, look around. Now hold your hands up, okay? I want you to look around, just take a look around for just a few seconds that you know someone who's in chains, chains to whatever it may be, all right? Now because of those hands represented, those hands represented represent people. And because of that, here's what we do. We never stop going forward with the gospel until Jesus comes back. We keep going until he says the task is complete, and it's not. We have to keep moving forward with the gospel. People coming to this place of understanding, not, not about, I'm not talking about religion, I'm talking about coming into a, a real relationship with the God who made them, with the God who loves them. And that is so important now. I love this time of year. I'm excited that you're here with us as we go into this Christmas season. It's an exciting time of year to get to, to be here. I love the Christmas decorations. I love, uh, I don't like that it gets dark early like this, but I love seeing the lights everywhere. Do you love the lights? I love the lights. Went for a run last night in my neighborhood and I saw lights all over the place. They're beautiful. And uh, I mean, some, some really went Christmas vacation, I'm just saying, all right? But I love the lights. I don't like putting up the lights. How many of you feel that, okay? I especially don't like doing that whenever I fell off, no, no, no joke, fell off our roof uh, three years ago, putting Christmas lights up, fell headfirst into a bush. And that bush has never been the same since, okay? I'm just saying, you can drive by and see it. It's never recovered. There is a Bart-sized void that is still in that bush. We ended up moving, but it's still there. I drove by the other day. I'm like, the bush hasn't changed, okay? I don't, I, don't like, I don't like putting them up, but I love the lights because whenever, even I was, I was running last night and I was looking at the lights, I was being reminded of this. That, that this light, yeah, it's beautiful in the darkness. This light shines bright in the darkness. And, and that's what this season reminds me of, is that, is that Jesus Christ came for God so loved the world, he gave us his very first, very best gift. And that gift was his son, Jesus. The opportunity for us to be restored back into relationship with the God who made us. Jesus willingly went to the cross. He paid the, the debt that we owed in full, complete. When he died, he didn't just stay dead. He was raised from the dead, came back to life, and, and then he conquered death, conquered hell. And then by his amazing grace that we were just singing about a moment ago, that he says, whoever believes in him will not have to perish, but will have, what does he say, church? What? Everlasting what? Life. And that's what this season reminds me of. Reminds me that God is a sending God. That he's a, a God that sends his best. He's a God that sends because he loves. If you're taking some notes, this is something just powerful to think of, is that God is about sending light into darkness. He's about sending light into darkness. And aren't you glad that God was willing to send the light of Jesus into the darkness of our world and into the darkness in our own lives. He saw our need and the light stepped into the darkness. John chapter one, we're just gonna look here for a second, but we're really gonna be in Ezekiel 37. You can start trying to find that one, okay? It's in the Old Testament. But in John chapter one, this is what it says. It says the light, that is Jesus, shines in the darkness and the darkness can never, what does it say? Extinguish it. The darkness is not going to win. It's not like that's even up for debate. The one who is the true light, that's Jesus, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world that he created, 
but the world didn't even recognize him, right? He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Now, this is a powerful verse for all of us who are here today. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become, to become. You're not just automatically a child of God. The way you become a child of God is by believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The right to become children of God. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ. They are, and then he talks about being born again. They're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or some kind of human plan, right? But a birth that comes from God, so the word, that is Jesus, became human and made his home among us. God sent light into darkness. He was full of unfailing love. Praise God for that and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of our Father. So I love this. I love this time. And what that is that we just read, it's called the gospel. And the gospel clearly means this. It means good news. It means that there's this news that has been good. And we as a church are about this. We're about worshiping the one who is the Savior, who is Jesus, the Messiah. But we're also about this. We're about making sure that every person Every hand that went up that says, I still know someone in chains, even if you didn't raise your hands, you do know someone who's still in chains, right? We have to always be about until Jesus comes back, never stopping, never growing complacent, never getting lukewarm, but going to the ends of the earth with this good news. Why? Because he told us to. He didn't say just stop and once you get your building, you're there, you've arrived. He didn't say anything like that. He said, don't you ever quit. You keep going till I come back. So, and why do we do that? Well, because here's what we find out about this. This is what I'm reminded of when I see the Christmas lights, when I'm running through the neighborhoods or driving through the neighborhoods. I see the light in the darkness, and here's what it's all about. Why did Jesus step into darkness? Why did he, why did he step into the darkness? It's because of this. Why do we even have Christmas? It's because of this. People matter to God. You're a people, right? I'm a, I'm a people, right? We're one of those. There's got to be a better way to say that. Okay, but we're people. We're people, and because you're a person, you matter to God, so that's why he did what he did. But here's the deal. Because we are the church, and we're supposed to be like Jesus, because people matter to God, people should also matter to us. That we care about the fact that there were so many hands that went up that said, I know someone who's still in darkness. I know someone who's still in chains. People matter to God. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians, just another quick one to jot down. But here's what Paul writes. He says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil, and this veil is is this spiritual blindness that people are in, and this separation that we're in because of our sin, when someone turns to the Lord in faith, he says, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, now say the next part with me, what does it say? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? My chains are what? Gone. My chains are gone. The chains of sin that have been binding me, the chains of addiction, the chains of depression, the chains of hopelessness that so many people around us and maybe you're one of those this morning that you, that you felt that and maybe you're still bound in some kind of sin or you're bound in some kind of addiction or you're bound in depression today or you're feeling very hopeless today, then I know God has a great word for you today. The only way that that, that, that releasing of that happens is when you come into this personal relationship with Jesus. It's not religion. Religion is about bondage, as I'll talk about here in a second, but, but a relationship with Jesus is about freedom. You're free. So I'm so excited about this month because we're starting this series today, just a few weeks in this series, okay? And it's called the EBC Family Tree, all right? And I'm excited about this because we are a church that loves to be generous and we love to give and we love to bless. And God has been generous with us by sending Jesus. God has modeled for us generosity. God has modeled for us sending and not hoarding to ourselves, And God gave his very first and he gave his very best when he gave us the gift of Jesus. And we have that in our lives and we're going to be reflecting upon what that means for us that we've received that in our life in this EVC family tree. And we're also going to be reflecting upon our purpose and our mission that just as God sent and just as God gave, we're called to do the same. 
We're called to be like him in that manner. So EBC Family Tree is going to give you a little bit of an idea of what that looks like when we invest in others and how, how we're multiplying as a church and that we're not about addition as a church, which means you just add a little bit here and there, but multiplication means there, there begins to happen exponential growth for the kingdom. But it goes beyond just a couple of, a couple of additions here and there. By the way, as we're going to talk a little bit about church planning today, this is a statistic that breaks my heart. Do you realize that, that, that only about 4% or less of churches in America will ever multiply another church? That's staggering, isn't it? Only le less than 4% will ever do that. So as we talk about EBC Family Tree, this month is a fun month for us because we t we're going to talk about generosity some. We're going to talk about be being, and we unapologetically say this around here, that it is one of our, our beliefs and our vision unapologetically to become one of the most generous churches of our generation. To be a church that has open hands as we invest in the gospel. And why do we do that? Because people matter to God. They matter to God, and because people matter to God, people should matter to us. And we know that the only hope in people's lives is the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus. This is a month where we will bring a special offering. As God leads you, there's no pressure here. But as God leads you, we bring something in this month, and we've been doing it for a long time now. It's called our first gift. And because God gave his first and best to us in Jesus, we bring, before we even give to anyone else at Christmas, we bring a birthday gift to Jesus. That, and here's the beautiful, special part of this, is that gift that we give above and beyond our regular giving, 100% of that gift goes outside of these walls. We don't keep that to ourselves, we give. And here's what that does. That ends up funding for the next year all of these, these mission opportunities that God has called us to as a church. It helps fund our church planting efforts, our efforts to multiply as a church and to multiply in the kingdom of God. It and, and we'll talk more about what, what's happening in Quebec a little bit and in, in, in the part of Canada where we're at work. We'll talk a little bit about local church planning. It helps fund our, our Honduras work. You'll hear more about those things next week. But what we're doing in Honduras, first of all, because of First Gift, we were able to, to do a water well for a village that didn't have clean water. Because you gave to that, now that, fam that village and many families have clean water. And, and we're getting close to being able to plant a church in that area because of your gift, your first gift, church, uh, there were six homeless families that you, many of you who went on that trip, were able to build homes for families that didn't have a place to live. Uh, because of your gift of first gift, we're able to partner with some others and in, in, in investing and in loving on a, on a disabled, uh, deserving, disabled veteran family that we love. And, and they're going to be getting to move into a, to a brand new home over an Eagle Ranch here uh, just within the next few months. We couldn't do that without first gift. We couldn't do that without people loving on other people and realizing that it's so much bigger than what's happening here at EBC. There's so many things that are happening, are working in Quebec. My point is this, that first gift, what we bring in, 100% of it goes out. We don't keep it here. We don't hoard it. We don't, we don't close our hands when it comes in. We say, how can we impact the kingdom of God? How can we do that? And when we talk about giving and generosity, if you're, we've got a lot of new people around here. And maybe you've been burned in another church, and that's all they ever talked about was giving, and you felt pressured into that. I'm going to say right now, this, the, there is absolutely no pressure whatsoever. If, if you've been a part of EBC for any amount of time, you know that that's how we roll here at EBC. We trust the Spirit of God to speak to his people, and we leave it at that. Amen? Aren't you glad about that? And God moves through, through you, and he speaks to you. And every time we cast the vision, you guys step up and hit a home run. Amen. Yeah, that's, a, that's worthy of clapping. Praise God. I'll clap with you. That's good stuff. Thank you. So I want you to know if you're new here, we're a church that loves to give. We love to give. Why? Because we love people. We love to give and we love to send and we love to live with open hands because we realize this, it's not ours anyway. 
It's all God's, and we're here to say, God, use us how you want to use us. So I want to talk to you for a few moments about this aspect that is so important to who we are as a church, which is multiplying more churches, which is what is called church planting. And so our church planting efforts, let me ask you this, okay, and I'm, I'm taking a risk here. First service didn't let me down, so I'm counting on you guys here, okay? All right? No pressure there, but a little pressure. Um, how many of you would say, you would say that your life has been, has been touched by God in a powerful way since you've been, been a part of EVC. Would you raise your hands? Okay, look at that. Okay, th- that's powerful because uh, when I was writing this this week, I was going, what if nobody raises their hand? I'm in trouble. I'm in... <laughs> Someone lie or something. No, I'm kidding. All right. But, but, but would you raise them one more time? Just okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to keep you involved here, okay? But, but look at that. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Some of your your lives have been changed. Some of you have come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of you have been baptized since you've been here? Would you raise your hands? Raise raise your hands. How many of your your kids have been baptized since? That's awesome. Look at that. Praise God. Hands up. Hands up in every service. That's been incredible. And every time I see that, it does begin to just bring me to tears because I realize this, how important it was that God led us to do this work. And he led us to plant this church. It's so important, right? And as we think about this, your life has been transformed by Jesus, and hopefully there's been some life change while you've been here, where God has done something significant in your life, and he's doing something significant in your family. And if that isn't happening, then we want that to happen. Otherwise, we're, we're wasting time. We're going through motions. What we want is people's lives to be transformed by the Savior who loves them, and he's crazy in love with them. That's what we care about. So I want you to understand something, though, that around 19 years ago, when God began to put the seed of planting a church in my heart, and then we launched about 18 years ago, when that began to happen, that it was a, it was a daunting task that I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew God was, was, was impressing this upon me. I didn't, in some ways, I didn't want to do it because I knew it was going to be hard and I didn't know what I was doing. I felt ignorant in the matter and, and, and just like, I don't know how to do this, God. And this is what I want to say. And it's, it required great faith on our part to trust the Lord day by day and step by step. I remember going to Hope, my wife, and saying, I feel like God's calling us to plant a church and, and I don't know how to do it. Are you in? And she said she was in. Right? And she's been following in that manner ever since and trusting God and trusting me. And it required just just faith, but I want you to know something else. It required partnerships. It required other people saying something. You know what? There's something about you, young man, that I believe in. There's something, and and I know what it was, and what I'm hoping is that there was the Spirit of God was at work in me because it's not me. And there were there's God's doing something in his life is what they would, some of them would say those kinds of things. And we can affirm that God's calling you to do this. It took other people coming alongside me and they were great churches, even in our community that came alongside me. And whenever I said, I think God's calling me to plant a church, they were kingdom minded and they weren't territorial and they weren't like, well, this is our area, you know, or go somewhere else. No, these guys came alongside me and they said, we believe in you. We're going to partner with you. We're going to invest in you. We're going to pray for you. We're in this together. We're on the same team. And we're reaching groups of people, different groups of people in this particular area. And they provided coaching for me too, which was a great necessary thing for a knucklehead like me. You could have amen there. That would have been good, all right? You still can. Here's the crazy thing to me. Here we are 18 years later, and I'm just blown away by what God is doing and what he's done. But do you know what I feel like? I still feel like a church planner. I still call myself one. Even before I kind of call myself a pastor, I call myself a church planner. And, and here's the thing. Uh, here's what I truly believe. What I truly believe is this, and I hope you do too. We're 18 years old, but we are nowhere close to having arrived. And here's the deal. I feel like... The best days for EVC are still out ahead of us. Does anybody else feel that way? I hope you do. Because if you don't, yeah, you can clap for that. If you don't, there's something wrong there. Because that means we're living in the past and what he's already done. And what he's saying is, I've got so much more for you to do. Until I come back, you get busy. You roll up the sleeves. You go to work. You don't ever quit. 
as long as people are raising their hands and they're saying, I know someone who's still in chains, don't ever quit. You got to keep going because people feel hopeless all over the place, right? And, and it's about multiplying our church. And I believe that the best days are out ahead of us. I believe in some ways, I know we're 18 years old, we're a full-on teenager right now, EBC, right? I believe that these best days are ahead of us. And I feel like almost it's like we're just getting started. You ever feel that? It's kind of like we're just getting started, right? And here's this, as we think of this, and, and, and it took some people saying, we believe in you. We're coming alongside you. And my life has never been the same since that. So this is a very pragmatic reason of why we believe in coming along other churches that are getting started, that are Bible teaching churches, that are gospel centered churches, that are, that are light in darkness. We come alongside them and, and, you know, and, and do the same kinds of thing because here's the bottom line. We wouldn't be here if the those churches hadn't done it for us. I don't know where we would be, right? And on a bigger scale, this is what we believe. We believe that this mentality of planting, sending, going, giving, living with open hands that people shared with us as we got started, that this is also crucial to the future of the American church as a whole, not just EBC, but the American church as a whole. Let me just tell you real quick, a few years ago, Pastor Randy and I uh, as we were seeking to, to continue to extend God's kingdom in other parts of the world, we always look at what is God already doing, and we join it. And uh, at this time, God had sent a family to our church, Chad and Shelley Vandiver. Chad worked uh, at the time for uh, the, uh, the Baptist General Convention of Texas, I believe, and then he ended up transferring and moving into working for what's called the North American Mission Board. And Chad felt called to go to work with a people group up in Canada called the Quebecois. The Quebecois is in that region of Quebec. It's where Montreal, where it, that is the heart of that. And, and again, we were like, okay, what has God up to here? We've been in wor at work uh, for the Lord all over the world, but God was doing something there that we felt like God was calling us to get invited and, and, and join him in this incredible work. Work. You should know about the Quebecois is that amongst the Quebecois people group, here's this, and let this just blow you away, that among that people group, if I were to ask how many chains have been gone, are gone, that less than 1%, one half of 1% know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So it'd be like, instead of all the hands going up in here, it'd be like maybe just two or three people over here. Everyone else is still in chains. Well, God was sending Chad and Shelly into this area, and Chad was inviting us to come and see what was going on. So Randy and I went up there, and we started touring and, and just watching for what God was doing. And I want you to know when you go to that area, and some of you will go, some of you have been, there is a, it is, it is, it is dark, and it is very, very cold. Very cold, okay? I went for a run. One day up there when I was training for a marathon, that takes commitment. I'm just saying it was negative 14 that day. I went for a run. When I finished, my beard was frozen. My eyelashes were frozen to my eyebrows, okay? All right? It was cold, man. I looked surprised walking around the whole time. And it was cold. But here's what I really want you to know. It wasn't just, it wasn't just cold and dark spiritually. There is a darkness that is there. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. There is a spiritual oppression that is there in that city. It is spiritually dark. It is spiritually cold that is there, right? But not only, it's, it, there are, as we toured around the city, what God allowed us to view was there were these, were these massive uh, church buildings that were everywhere. We say it around here, there's a church on every what? Corner. You feel that, right? Man, there's a church everywhere. Why do we need more churches? Well, that's how it is there. There's massive cathedrals all over the place, cathedrals on every corner. Randy and I would tour these, and, and here's what I want you to understand about these now. These, these places are empty. That big door right there, we were knocking on the door, and you know what? Nobody was home. Nobody was home. We, we ding-dong ditched them. We ran around right after we knocked. Okay, no, seriously, nobody was home. But here's, here's what happened. Here's what happened. They're empty now, completely empty. They're museums. And what happened? They're, they're remnants of religion. They're, they're relics of, and this is the word, religion. Religion. 
There was a lot of oppression that was still there, and something happened in the, in the 60s and 70s that was called the Quiet Revolution. The Catholic Church, which was the predominant folks that were building all of these buildings, it was the predominant religion that was there, and there was a lot of oppression there, and there was a lot of abuse, and there was a lot of things that were happening. Here's what I would say. There was just what we know of religion. <laughs> there was religion, but there wasn't a lot of real, thriving, living, vibrant relationship with God, and so people started feeling like the church was irrelevant. Sound familiar? The church was irrelevant. They started leaving churches in droves. They didn't, they didn't raise a big ruckus. They silently went out. And they stopped attending. This was more in what we would know as kind of the boomer generation and some of the builders there and even Gen Xers, my generation. They just stopped. The culture is becoming and, and, and became increasingly secularized. Where, where it used to be kind of there was just these remnants of religion, but now it's very secular. People wanted nothing to do with, with the church. People wanted, because they associated God with this, they wanted nothing to do with God. They walked out. They said, and, there was, and here's what I would say, because there was lifelessness of religion that was going on. Lifelessness of religion. Now there are empty church buildings everywhere. Some have been turned into, no joke, shopping malls. Shopping malls, some have been turned into museums, and now the Quebecois are the least unreached people group for Jesus in all of North America. And here's what we also know about that, that darkness that you can feel, the suicide rate among them is double what it is in other parts of Canada. People are trying to figure it out, their government's trying to figure it out. I read an article just this week that said this, regarding their suicide rate there, there this is what it said, there is a cultural dimension that is present, but it is difficult to explain why Quebec has increased in suicide while it has decreased elsewhere in Canada. Suicides have continued to rise in Quebec despite prevention efforts by the government. Efforts over the, over the past 20 years. They're trying to figure it out. The government's trying to figure it out. And I don't mean this in a smug kind of way, but here's what I know. We know the answer to that. There is an absence of the gospel. There is an absence of hope. People feel hopeless in the darkness. There's an utter hopelessness. While Randy and I were touring there, they took us onto a university where there was this beautiful tower. And, and this is what our, our guide told us. That tower has been temporarily shut down because there have been so many college students who have thrown themselves off and committed suicide. So we're not allowing it to even be open anymore. There's hopelessness because there's an absence of good news, an absence of the gospel. Right? By the way, this is very similar to what has happened in Europe. There's relics of religion, and there's cathedrals everywhere. There's empty church buildings everywhere, and it's happened among the Quebecois. And every time I'm there, up there, I have this kind of feeling in my gut, in my heart, like it's happening and beginning to happen here. Have you felt that? Like... like like there's something that's not right. There's something that's, that's off. I think we know that, right? That, 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 and let's just, let's just face it. Most, most churches are not growing. Most are not growing. Most are not going forward with the God. And I'm not, I'm not saying that dogging them out. I'm saying that is that we partner. We've got to revitalize. We've got to come alongside. And God's going to have to do something to instill life. And unless something drastically changes... In fact, I would already suggest to you that it is happening here. I know of three that were at one time within the last 20 years that were, would be considered what, what are called megachurches that, that are within a 10-mile radius of where we currently are, and now they have buildings that are nearly empty, and their, their congregations are struggling. They can't even hardly pay for their buildings. They're struggling to make ends meet. And, and, and they were at one time vibrant. They were one time powerful uh, for the kingdom. And now there's something that's going on there. The truth is, as I said, most churches in America aren't growing. Most have plateaued. Most are, many are even in decline. One of the statistics to take note of is what we call the rise of the nuns. It's not those nuns, okay? 
But it's the N-O-N-E-S, none. And what that means is that is those who now say, I have nothing to do with any form of religion or associate myself in that whatsoever. 35% of millennials are now saying we're a nun. Do you feel the tide? The tide is, is turning. It's, it's, it's turning culturally, right? And, and by the way, I'm so excited about what God is doing amongst our young adults that are here in this church. We have a growing group that Pastor Danny and Casey lead, and, and we have a growing college group that is being led by them, right? But 35%, we have to gain a heart for the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And not forget that that's what's happening. So is it hopeless? Interestingly enough, one of the churches that we support in Montreal called La Chapelle, that in 2014 when we went, in, we went up there, they were just getting started. Check this out. They are primarily reaching that millennial generation. They are meeting in a school. Last Sunday, they had 1,600 people that were there. 55 people gave their life to Jesus Christ last Sunday. 42 of them were baptized last Sunday. That was last Sunday. Last Sunday. Do you know why that's happening? It's because people are spiritually starved. They're hungry for the gospel because the younger generation has watched their moms and dads and older brothers and older sisters, and they're seeing that isn't where it's at. So they're hungry. And instead of finding religion, what they're finding is a real relationship with the living God, Jesus Christ, who loves them. And they're discovering this. There's this hopelessness that is there. There's, there's this passage that God laid on my heart, just very quickly with you here. I was having my personal time with God uh, a couple of weeks ago on my back porch, and I was sitting I was sitting on the back porch reading my Bible there, and I was drinking coffee, and my, that's, my, that's my coffee talk with God, okay? And as I was sitting there reading Ezekiel, now, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I was, I'm just shoot straight with you, I was kind of struggling through Ezekiel a little bit there, and uh, it's a good, great book as I'm about to share something with you here, but that day, I, I, was, I was in chapter 35, 36, and 37, and I was going, God, I, I need a word here, okay? I was feeling a little dry spiritually. And I, I was just struggling at that point, and God said, I have a word for you in Ezekiel 37. There was a famous evangelist that described the American church as a sleeping giant. And he, just said, he said it's a, like a sleeping giant, and his thought was that the American church may look impressive on the outside. We know how to do church. We know how to, how to make church happen. We know how to build beautiful church buildings. But he said it's like a sleeping giant. But for many churches, there's little, real, genuine spiritual life that's present. Now, there's some that are just thriving, and we praise God for that. I don't mean to be doom and gloom, but I'm just saying the overall general landscape hasn't been great. And, and so, but before we even get to Ezekiel 37 for a moment or two, this passage is powerful as well, and God shared this with me through the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 1, where Jesus is talking to one of the seven churches. And this is what he says to the church of Sardis. He says, I know all the things you do. You're good at activity. And that you have a reputation, a reputation for being alive. But say it with me out loud. What does it say? But you are. He says, you're dead. And then he's going to say this. Wake up. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. And the North American church has been described as a sleeping giant. Jesus would say about the church of Sardis that it was dead. So is there any hope for something that's dead? Can life be restored? What do we know for something that's dead? What about a dead body? Can life enter into it? And and we know when we look at this text, we know that God is about restoring things that are dead, things that are lifeless, and he's about bringing life, right? So just quick context of Ezekiel. He was a prophet of God, and in the year 597 B.C., so this was before Jesus, all right, um, the, the, the nation of Israel was fractured into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom, which was Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was Judah, Okay, and, and as a result of, of this, what God allowed, because the people who had, 
whose chains had been delivered, they'd been delivered by God out of Egypt. They were in the promised land, but they started worshiping other, other gods. They got lethargic. And they, they, started, they started committing idolatry and they turned away from God. So they were fractured as a nation now. They had, they had ungodly leaders in place. They drifted away from the God who had saved them. They, were, they, were, they became sleepy. And maybe for some of you that might kind of describe your personal story. You would say, yes, my chains have, have been gone. But maybe you've been a little sleepy spiritually. I don't know. I know it's happened to me. Maybe that might be where some of you are today. And so you're wondering, can, can, can this dryness, can it, can it be revived within me? So they were warned by their prophets over and over again for hundreds of years. But they had, they, instead of listening to their prophets, do you know what they did? They persecuted their prophets. They told their prophets to shut up. They didn't want to hear what they had to say. The prophets were trying to warn them that something imminent was coming. And so what God allowed, because they wouldn't listen to their prophets, God allowed the people to go through a very dark, difficult time where they would eventually turn back to God. So there was about to be this revival in a graveyard. He gives Ezekiel this incredible vision. And it says in Ezekiel 37, he says, he says this, verse 1, the Lord took hold of me and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. And so there's this imagery of a valley that would probably a great battle had been fought in. They would fight in these battles and, and then the corpses would, would many times be, be left to, to rot there. And, and there were bones in these valleys and it's a macabre setting, right? He led me all, all among the bones that covered the valley floor couple of key things. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and they were completely what? Dried out. It means they'd been dead for a while. Dead for a while. Then he asked me, son of man, and he's just talking to Ezekiel there, can these bones become living people again? They're piles of bones. What once was alive is now dead and it's been dead for a while. And he said, oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and I'm going to make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. It makes me think of the book of Acts when God breathed life into the church. And 3,000 people were saved in one day. And he says this. He says, then you will know that I am the Lord. And so I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. So are you there with me? And you hear these bones clattering and they're beginning to come together. And the bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones, then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. So they looked like a body, but they were lifeless. They still needed something. They needed, they needed breath. They needed life. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. Now say the next part with me out loud. Let's read it. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great what? Army. An army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. And they are saying, we have become old, dry bones. And this really stood out to me. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and I will cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am the Lord. You didn't do this. I did this. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again. 
and you will return to your homeland. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. And I know this was a word for the people of Israel, but there's so many applications, I believe, for us today. So many applications for you personally, if you've maybe felt hopeless or if you felt like your life is that, those, that valley of dry bones or your family is that valley of dry bones where that hopelessness is there and you're wondering, can it live again? Well, we see that God says, yes, when I'm involved and the Spirit of God is involved, it can. We're wondering about the American church. Can the American church, that valley of dry bones, can, with the Spirit of God infused within it, it can live again? couple of things about the revival that happened in the graveyard. It was first preceded by desperate conditions. Did you see that? It took desperate conditions to bring brokenness into their lives. They were dried out. There was no power. There was no life. They felt hopeless. And I think it's safe to say that a lot of people feel that way. But God infused life. They're saying we become old dry bones. All hope is gone This is how Israel felt about themselves, hopeless. And some of you, maybe you feel that way. This is how maybe some of us have felt about maybe our nation where we've been just kind of just disillusioned by what's happened in our own nation, nation and the secularization and the direction that it's going. The question becomes pressing, is there any hope? And I think what this shows us is yes. But the government is not gonna fix it. No politician will ever fix it. Amen? Amen. Only Jesus Christ. Do we truly believe that? Only the gospel of Jesus. It was also prompted by divine prophecy. He asked a peculiar question to Ezekiel. Do you think the bones can live? Ezekiel says, Lord, only you know that. But I think what he meant was, with you involved, anything is possible. Let me ask you something. In fact, I think God may be asking you, do you think these bones can live? Do you think God can do something special through your life? Do you think God can do something special through this church, through the American church? You gotta believe. You gotta say, Lord, I believe with you all things are possible. All things are possible. He said, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put breath into you. You will, you will come to life, and you will know that I'm the Lord. And church, I really believe that one of the ways that God is going to do this is not only just revitalization through, through existing churches, but it is imperative that new churches are planted that are filled with life. I really believe that this is a, a big part of what's coming. And so here's what it also produced. It produced an army a dynamic army. And when the church comes together and the bones that have been separated start coming together in the American church and we decide to pull together instead of act like we're competing with one another, but instead we realize we're on the same team and that we're trying to reach pockets of people, here's, what, here's the power in this. It's an army of God. An army of God that is infused with life. I want to invite a couple of guys to come up on stage with me, okay? Uh, this is Trey Teal. Trey came up last service, okay? He's one of the church planners that we're partnering with locally here in the Eagle Mountain Saginaw area. But I want to invite Ricky Cotto to come up. And, uh, wow, Randy is stealthy like that, okay? And I want to invite, uh, uh, Pastor Randy's going to sit in with us for just a, just a couple minutes as well. But there's, just a, there's something, while these guys are just kind of getting settled in, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a football guy. I love football. Any football people, right? And so I think a lot of times in football analogies. And here's what it feels like sometimes, although God's been blessing EVC, we've grown by more than 50% since the month of May. And we, that's God. That's not us, okay? And I'm going to tell you, it's not a building, okay? The days in the American church of you build a building and they will come, the field of dreams mentality, I'm telling you right now, that's over. It's over. Those days are done because I see many, many buildings that have been built that were beautiful buildings and are still beautiful buildings and many of them are empty. So we got to get past that. But what I want you to think about is what's happening in our, in, in, in our area. 
and what's happening in, in the United States is population is booming, especially in our area, especially in Texas. Trey shared this in the last service. You realize that, that from 2000 to 2010, 4 million people moved into Texas. That's like taking, and Trey said it this way, the entire state of Kentucky and bringing the entire state of Kentucky into Texas. Now, we have two that just came from Kentucky. Y'all are bringing a lot of people with you, all right? All right, Grant and Chelsea, bringing the whole state with you. 2010 to 2020, it's like the entire state of Oregon moved here. Another 4 million. Between 2020 and 2030, it's like the entire state of Oklahoma is moving into Texas, one of the fastest growing places uh, in the United States, obviously. I know some of you are going, I'm moving, right? Okay, <laughs> that's getting too big, right? But that's what's happening here. All we have to do is look around and see the growth. All we have to do is look at the roads. Every road is under construction, right? Why? And that is the question. Why, God? Why? <laughs> I think we know why. It's because there's, there's so many people. And every road that's under construction, there is those roads under construction, there are new subdevelopments going in. Three mile radius from where Willow Creek Park is has grown 253% in the last how many years? Seven. Seven years. We've grown by 50% since May to now. We're not keeping up pace. More and more people are coming in. So I want Pastor Randy to talk to you a little bit because he's kind of in charge of this. I want him to talk to you a little bit about our growth, what that looks like for us, how can we keep up pace with what's happening. And, and I don't say this in any kind of smug way. I say it with a broken heart. I, can't, I can think of a few churches that are really just growing and booming and doing very well, but for the most part, many, many churches around are struggling. So we're, we're on that football field. We want to score a touchdown, but it's like we're dropping back, and what's happening? We're getting sacked, and we're losing field position, and we're getting sacked, and pretty close, we're going to have a safety. We're not driving the ball down the field. So we're trying to make a difference in this, but can we just do it all by ourselves, Pastor Randy? Talk about what does that look like when it comes to our growth? So when we look at it and we think about what growth has been, we take all the statistics that Bart just talked about, we think about this building. So we quickly went from two services to three, and so we have capacity in the three services that we have right now. This is including all the kids' ministries being full and this room being at least 80% full, because we know about like now, when it's 80% full, it feels full because you're having to climb over other people to get here. So this room at 80% plus the, the, the kids' ministries being full in three services is the opportunity for 1,350 people. Three weeks ago, we had 1,100 here. So that's, the, in essence, the capacity of this building in three services. Let's say we start giving start drinking a lot of energy drinks, and we go to four services, which is That's our scary. next step. Our next step and the opportunity for us to do. So in four services, we can handle about 1,820 folks here. Now, let's talk about the build-out, what we could do. Our full plan is that we go through this wall, we double this space, but that's really, we, our whole intent and desire is to not necessarily be the mega, mega church, but to keep this feel that we have. So that would be as large as we would plan to grow, is to double this space in three services, it's 2,700 and, or 2,730 people. And in four, service, four services, it's 3,650. Now, that's the total build-out, 3,650 people. In light of the population growth that we have, we're not keeping ground by just saying, okay, this is it. This is what we did. We're getting sacked. We're losing, we're losing field We're losing that field advantage, right? That, 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 we're, we're losing that. We can't keep up. It's incredible to think of that. That's why Trey is planting a wonderful church that we're coming alongside. And just like someone said, we believe in you. We're saying, we believe in you, Trey. Stand up, Trey, so they can see who you are. And man, he got, someone confused him the other day with the city of Saginaw. They thought he was me, all right? And I told him, I said, the best, 
No, don't take this personal, Ricky. The best church planners <laughs> are bald and wear glasses and wear Converse, okay? I'm just saying, all right, because I wear those too. And, and I told you you were a good-looking dude, didn't I? All right, all right. But, but, but Trey is planning this church. His family's planning. We're coming alongside, and we're excited. It's called Renovate Church, all right? And this is exciting. You should know about our area too, the bond election that just passed for our schools, all right? We currently have around 19,000 students right in that ballpark there. The, the total projected build-out is 40,000. What I'm trying to just say, and some of you, again, you're like, man, I got to get out of here. This place, I'm going to move to the country. It's coming to the country, folks. There's not going to be much country around here. It's just, it's, it's booming. And so God connected us with another church planner named Ricky. And this is Ricky Prado, who has, who has hair, hair, but we're going okay, to make him, we're going to make him shave his head. Okay. But, and I'm not getting converse either. All right. All right. Ricky, tell us, tell us about, about City Post Church. It's just very cool. We don't have time to tell how we connected, but it's, that's an, that, that may be another story another time. But tell us about what God is doing at City Post and how you're, how you're getting going. Sure. Um, so City Post Church, uh, we're looking to plant in the Riverside area of Fort Worth. Uh, pretty much Fort Worth is the 16th fastest growing city in the nation. Uh, last year, one person moved to Fort Worth every 20 minutes uh, for a year. So Fort Worth is just exploding. It's, it's blowing up. And uh, as, I, as I did my work with Blue Zones Project, uh, I did a lot of work out in the community and with faith organizations, and God just uh, opened my eyes uh, to the population and, and the mass exodus of people that are leaving churches. And, and a lot of these conversations are, um, I'm not about that, you know, um, that was my parents, or, you know, it's all fake, or they're just wanting to control you. And uh, something that, that God put on my heart is the lack of, of scripture. Um, so I think a lot of the churches that are dying out because the, the word is not being exposited correctly. It's a weak pulpit. So uh, that's what we came up with City Post Church. When you think of the post, uh, you think of the newspaper, that's how the word gets out. So we, we want to be a church that is known for God's word. We want to be able to exposit the scriptures in the language of the community uh, that we serve. And uh, we just want to be a place where uh, people know God's word because that's what's going to bring life. It's, it's Christ. It's not, you know, traditionalism. It's not a bunch of, you know, do's and don'ts. It's, it's um, how do we follow Jesus Christ and uh, everything that he's given us and forgiven us. And your so. core team is with you, right? Right yeah, over here. Will you guys stand up, core team? I, I, so I don't mean to embarrass. This is their core team that's getting started. Let's right. give them a hand. And they're getting started. And what's happening tonight? You got something right. happening tonight. So tonight, uh, we're actually going to be having our kind of commissioning uh, service, commissioning the ministry in Riverside. So uh, we're actually meeting at a place called The Post on Ray Street, uh, which is kind of a cool story how we got there as well. And we've invited other pastors and churches and uh, friends and family as uh, we just commission, uh, you know, this, this new ministry out in the city. And we're going to have real tacos because uh, ta real tacos do not have cheese, I'm just saying, and uh, ice cream as well. So. Pastor Randy's getting to go tonight. i got to preach yeah. another service. That's not fair. Yeah. That's not fair. Um, we, we're, he's going tonight because we just want to encourage them. We're coming alongside them. It is a, is a, is a hipster part of town that's really starting to yeah, boom. It's a real grow, artsy, right? yep. creative part Really starting to grow, and so we're excited that God is opening a door there as we begin to partner there. Um, and you may be thinking, okay, well, how does this apply to me? Well, if you're part of EVC, how can I get involved? How can I support? All right, just a couple of things really quick. You should have received in your worship guide when you came in, you should have received one of these. This is a prayer card. We're asking you to take this. Please don't throw this away. I'm asking you to, to really pray over this. This is part of our EVC family tree. These are, we are them, they are us. We're on the same team. We're reaching into pockets of darkness, that light going into places of darkness. They need us and we need them. Amen, right? We're in this together. We got to come alongside each other. So how can you get plugged in and be a part of something that is bigger than what's just happening in your family and it's bigger than what's just happening in these four walls of this church? Is you can believe in something like this and you can believe that the Valley of Dry Bones can live through the Spirit of God. So what can you do? Pray. 
You know why we want to ask you to pray? I especially want to ask you to pray for La Chapelle, the church I was telling you about that just had the 55 salvations last Sunday, 42 baptized, 1,600 in attendance that day, reaching millennials just this week. And we should have expected this. They did expect this. The, 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 the week that that happened, the city of Montreal had one person come and complain about them being in a school that they're paying for, by the way, they're not just getting it for free, for, for free uh, come and complain, and now they have two weeks to get out. They have to try to find a place for 1,600 more people. But you know what we believe? God's, move, God's sovereign. God's going to move them to a better place. Amen? But you need to pray for them because the stress level in dealing with something like that is immense for the pastors and the staff and knowing that that's going on. So pray. That's the biggest thing. Pray for Renovate Church. And Trey, we're going to do that in a moment. Pray for Ricky and his core team. Pray. Don't do battle in social media. By the way, La Chapelle said don't put anything on social media about this because they're warring. They're warring with the city in this, but they're not battling as, as a lot of people battle. We're doing battle on our knees. So they, they don't want to make things worse by something getting out on social media. But you can do something today. You can pray. You can pray for the kingdom of God to continue to, to be extended in that area. What else can you do? You can, you can get plugged in and partner. We're partnering with other churches as God begins to do this. We're, we're becoming what's called a church multiplication center. We're not just about addition. We want to multiply. We want to plant churches that plant churches that plant more churches. It said this about our culture today and our society that to even keep up with the pace of population growth, we need to plant at least 7,200 churches annually to keep up. We're dropping back and we're getting sacked. 7,200. There's lots of churches that are closing their doors. It's happening. You can participate. Some of you may want to go. You may want to go help Trey. You may want to go help Ricky. Especially serving tacos tonight, man, okay? You want to go. Some of you will want to go maybe to Quebec, and you'll hear more about that next week and how you can go, how you can participate. Some of you, God may call you to, to not only participate, but to provide. And how do we do that? We give. Because these things, they need our help. Someone helped us. We need to help others. We need to come alongside and believe in these guys. Because lives are going to be changed and are being changed. And then you may even be called, some of you may be called to plant. And I believe that God is going to call church planters out of this church because we're a church planting church. Some of you may be called to plant and we can help you discern that. Some of you, maybe you're not supposed to be the, the lead pastor guy or the planter, but you feel called maybe to go and help a church plant. They need you. So how are we going to, when we, and we're going to, we're going to, by God's grace, continue to grow and it's not us, it's his spirit. How are we going to continue to keep up with population growth? We got to multiply. We got to plant churches. We got to send more churches in. Trey's model is, is, is a home church model at this point. It could change, but right now it's a home church model. We want to plant churches in homes. We want to plant churches in bars. We want to plant churches where people, where there's darkness, where people need light. Amen, right? Jesus didn't say, build it, they will come to you. Jesus said, what did he say? Go to them. Go to them. So we want to mobilize an army of God. All right. So let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you've done in our lives, God. There may be some of you, you today as we're praying, you may, you may be that, that valley of dry bones and God is saying with me, there can be life. Maybe it's about your family. Maybe, maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you're battling with an addiction. Maybe there's just brokenness. Maybe you feel hopeless today. Jesus has said, I've come to bring you life and life abundantly. For some of you, maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I can't think of a better day to say, Jesus, you came into this world for me. I believe that you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. To as many as believed and accepted him, to them he gave the right to become his sons and his daughters by grace through faith. Maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus. 
Would you say, Lord Jesus, would you be my Savior today? Do you believe the bones can live? Lord Jesus, we welcome your spirit within us. Our lives are about glorifying you, the worthy one. We love you, Jesus. We pray for these churches that are getting started, as we will here again in just a moment as we close. Father, will you, will you help us to multiply for your kingdom? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. I mean, I want to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to give glory to a God who is worthy. Think about your chains being gone. Think of, think of the glory that God deserves for that. Let's sing to him as we wrap this service up.